All right, how are we doing this morning? Good, good, good. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We will be in Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 15, as we continue to make our trek through the book of Acts. Um, we'll start in chap- or chapter 15, verse 36 this morning. Uh, verse 36 this morning is where we will be. Uh, uh, as you're turning there, last week we looked at the Council of Jerusalem, uh, and they made a very, very big decision for the, for the church. Uh, as we know, the church is spreading, the church is growing, the church is reaching people um, who is outside of God's chosen people as the Jewish, Jewish people. And so we see the church spreading, and in spreading, they uh, make a major decision in regarding salvation and regarding the church. They, they decided that circumcision for the Gentiles uh, was not a necessary evidence of salvation. Uh, that this outward act did not necessarily determine an inward reality. And so they, they decided that, and then they settled the issue, um, that issue, and also decided that uh, though there is freedom in Christ, that that freedom does not need to be expressed at the expense of other believers. And so what we talked about a little bit is this, is that, that we have freedoms in Christ that we can partake in or that we are free to uh, uh, do, but the center thing should always be the gospel, and should always be the growth of our brother and sister, and we should not do anything that would take away or would uh, open up a door for them to stumble and, and fall and into sin. And so uh, we just walked out last week, the main issue being centered around the gospel, uh, how the gospel is always to be the primary issue, always, is to be utmost, and that everything else centers around that. Everything else is secondary to the gospel. And so if you missed any of the talk last week, you can catch that online. Uh, it'll be there. We said a lot more than what I just said, but we just don't have time to uh, recap everything. And so I'm going to ask this morning if you join me as we pray, um, and then we'll, we'll get ready and jump into Acts chapter 15. God, I uh, love you so much. Um, and God, I just, uh, I just thank you for all that you've done for us, for me. God, thank you for the cross. God, the, the very lyrics that we have sang here uh, this morning, God, is, I pray that it resonates to you and that it brings you glory and honor. And God, I pray that it turns our hearts to you even more. God, the reality of the things that we have sang. God, grace. Oh, thank you so much for that grace. That's amazing. God, the fact that you, for whatever reason, would look to us and extend your love and mercy. Jesus, thank you so much. Oh God, I just I love you and Lord, we need you in this, in this moment, in this morning to just help us navigate through your word. And so God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us this morning. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would invade this place and that, and that you would do a work in this place this morning. God, we give you freedom, Lord, whatever you see fit to do in this place this morning. God, this is your church, your people, and we belong to you. And so God, I pray, God, I pray that you just move in a mighty way. God, I pray that your word permeates our hearts and God brings about a change in our life. Lord, I pray that we look different when we leave this place. God, internally out. God, do a work in this place this morning. Lord, set the captive free. God, save the lost. God, encourage the one hurting. Lord, just move in a mighty, mighty way. King Jesus, we need you. And we pray, amen. All right, so this morning we're going to dive in and we're going to see Paul and Barnabas get ready to take what we know to be their uh, second missionary journey. Um, And so they're getting ready to take off, but before they can get started, uh, a problem arises. uh, But it's not a problem that we saw coming. It's not a problem that we saw on the horizon or something that would even, uh, something that would kind of feed into that we can, oh, okay, I can see that. There's nowhere in in Scripture that we would see that happen. It just kind of uh, came out of what would appear to be uh, nowhere. And so I just want to take the next two weeks and just kind of press into what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to take the next few weeks and just kind of dive into. I just believe it'll be good for our soul. Uh, I believe that it'll help us to 
navigate and walk through what it looks like to be obedient as a believer. Um, I believe that it'll benefit us individually as well as the body corporate on how to handle some things and how to uh, uh, love and walk out in this world like Jesus would love and walk out in this world, especially as it pertains to us as believers, especially in this setting for us here at New Life. Um, And so we'll do that over the next two weeks. And then after the next two weeks, it will be Acts 15 this week. And then we'll kind of coattail on Acts 15 next week and, and talk about a few things that, like I said, pertains to this. Uh, and then after that, we'll go Acts 16 and then Acts 17. And then, man, we will be at Easter here and we're going to celebrate like crazy Easter. Um, so just get ready for that. So that's kind of our uh, outline for the next couple weeks. And so let's jump into Acts chapter 15 and see what God has for us this morning. And so this is what God's word says. It says, Acts 15, verse 36. It says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed uh, the word of the Lord, and let's see how they are. Um, and so I believe this is just a great picture of discipleship. I believe this is what it should look like. This is what it should be like. They didn't just raise people up and uh, uh, set up leadership and disciple people and then move on never to return again. But he, uh, Paul's heart is to go back and let's check on them. Let's check in on them. Let's see how they're doing. Let's walk with them. Uh, let's encourage them. Let's hold them accountable. All those that he has impacted uh, with the gospel message, all of those that he has poured into. And so I believe just a, a beautiful picture of what uh, discipleship looks like. And I believe a beautiful picture of what uh, missions should look like. And so uh, as I was looking and just reading and studying this week over the last months, Tyler and I have had conversation. Um, he's back in the children this morning. And so I asked him if I could share this. He said, absolutely. Uh, because for us here uh, in this church, our heart is to do exactly what we see here. Um, so for us, missions and the way that it, it goes is our heart is not to just go on a mission trip and plug in and then never go back again. Go do like a one-time shot and then that's it. Our heart is to go to places where we can continue to invest in go to places where we can continue to engage with a, a community of believers to impact their community, their world. And that's what we see Paul doing. We, we see them go out and on their first missionary journey, they're sharing the gospel. They're out there for a few years and uh, then they come back and they report all that's happened. Now their heart is to go back. Man, man, we need to check on those believers. We need to be with those believers that we raised up, the churches that we've planted, the leadership that we've put into tact. We, we need to go check on them and encourage them. And, and so his heart is to, is to go there. And so that's, that's our heart. We want to find places that we can go and we can impact not just one time, but over a course of a lifetime or we can partner with and take the gospel to and we can live out and walk with gospel community, even though they may be two and a half hours down the road, even though they may be on the complete other side of the world. And so we want to do those things. We want to model this out and live this out as a church and as a body of believers, as we see here, uh, Paul doing that. And he goes on in verse 37. It says, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. And so my question is this, who, who is this John Mark in the scriptures? Who is this man that Barnabas, son of encouragement, wants to take with him? And so we, we read in Acts 12, 25 that Barnabas and Saul, they bring a young man named uh, John Mark back to Antioch with them from Jerusalem. So when they're in Jerusalem, they bring John Mark back. Mark's mother's name was Mary. Uh, She had a house in Jerusalem. Uh, Remember the story over in Acts chapter 12 whenever we talked about Peter had been uh, 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 arrested and thrown in prison. And so what does the church do? The church gathers at a house and they begin to pray. And so as they begin to pray, the angel shows up, the shackles come off, and he escorts Peter right out the gate. It comes to the gate and it's shut. It opens and he, he just walks right through. And he ends up going to a house, and the house that he goes to is this house here. Remember, he knocks on the door. The little girl comes to the door, answers, and she's like shocked that it's Peter. And so she just leaves him there, and she runs back and says, like, hey, hey, P- P- the Peter, but P- P- Peter, the one we're praying for is here. Well, like that guy, you know, P- Peter. And they're just kind of like, sure, it's probably just his angel, whatever. And, 
and then they hear the knock continue, and so they go to the door, and there's Peter. That's the house that they were at. That's John Mark's mom. That's where they're at. So John Mark, he had experienced, he'd been around all the stuff that had happened in Jerusalem in the years leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection, so he's, he's heard of it, he's been around it. We learn from Colossians 4.10 that, that John Mark and Barnabas, that they're cousins, and so uh, when the Holy Spirit appoints Barnabas and Saul to be missionaries from Antioch, Acts 13, 2, Barnabas and Saul decide to take someone with them. Uh, they take John Mark as an assistant. Man, again, another beautiful picture of discipleship. So we're not just gonna go and do, we're gonna take somebody else with us so we can train up and they can see and they can be a part of. Uh, they can learn and walk in. But, but what we know in the story is this, something happened after that team left Cyprus and headed to Pamphylia. Something happened there and it's serious, but Luke only mentions it just in, in one brief sentence. And if you just read through the scriptures, you probably never notice it or just kind of wax over it. But Acts 13, 13 says this. It says, now Paul and his company set sail from Pampius and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So we see John Mark here leaving uh, Paul and Barnabas and he heads back home. And so Luke is very reserved. He passes no judgment on John, doesn't say much more after that. Just very quiet in regards to what happened or what took place there. So Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he wants to give John Mark another chance. He, he wants to take John Mark with him one more time. Let's try this thing again. Let's pour into him. Let's bring him along. And look at what happens in verse 38. But Paul thought best not to take with him the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. So, so what we see here is that this partnership is dissolved. Just in a moment, it's dissolved. It's done away with, and it's not done in a peaceable way, but with violent emotions. That's what the scripture would let us know. Now, see, this, di this disagreement is so deep that it cannot be resolved. It, it can't be just figured out or worked over in that moment. And this friendship that goes back for some 15 years, and these, these two men who owe each other so much, this friendship, this gospel friendship, this, this biblical friendship, this relational uh, friendship that they've got is just dissolved as they part ways. It's, it's just dissolved. Neither one give in. Something happens here. When it says sharp disagreement, it lets us know that it's violent, that it's not just, they just couldn't come to terms. There's something deeper going on in this moment. And so what the scriptures read, it says that Barnabas took, took with him took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended uh, by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So the question that arises, which one's right? Which one was justified in their actions? Which one uh, was right? And like I said earlier, Luke is remarkably quiet here. He doesn't take, seem to take sides. He doesn't seem to give us uh, more info on what's going on. He doesn't seem to, to, to pull back the curtain a little bit so we can read into and figure out. And in the world we live in, I mean, we, somebody's got to be right, right? I mean, this is the, the kind of this, this justice society that we live in. And so, somebody's got to be wrong. But Luke never feels the pressure to elaborate more. He never feels the pressure to tell us more about what happens. So who's right? Who's wrong? What happened? And all I can say is I'm not 100% sure. The scriptures never elaborate on it more. Maybe, and this is a stretch, maybe we can lean on the side of Paul. And that's a very soft leaning on the side of Paul. Because what we just read here is that the church commended Paul to the grace of the Lord. We don't see them doing that with, with Barnabas. But we can't even lean fully on that. So we still have to say that we're not sure. It doesn't say a whole lot about the departure of Barnabas and John Mark. But as Luke pins Acts here in this story, he feels no pressure to help us take sides. No pressure at all. 
And, and so what we get is the impression that two good men in this moment could not agree, and there's a sad break in their partnership. These two godly men seeking the Lord, walking with the Lord, for some reason could not work through whatever has happened, whatever's taken place. And look at verse 41 as the story continues. And when and he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. This is Paul. So why these five verses? Why cover and look at these five verses just in this one setting, right? We should say amen and let's go home and that's it, but, but that's not the case. We're gonna talk a little bit more. So why these five verses when we've covered whole chapters at one time? I'm happy you asked that question because I believe we can learn a lot from what Paul and Barnabas do not do. I believe that we can learn a ton from what these two men failed to do in this moment. And mainly it's conflict resolution and, and keeping harmony within the body, keeping unity within the body. So uh, we need to be unified and we need to work through things in a way that would honor God, in a way that would bring him glory and honor. We, whenever conflict arises, whenever struggles come up, we need to do the di difficult work of pressing into our heart and seeing what God would want us to do, how he would want us to handle certain things, how he would want us to engage when it comes to relationships. And so what I've learned, it's not a matter if things get messy, it's a matter of when they get messy. Because they're going to. Well, because we're all fallen human beings. Though we may be redeemed, though we may uh, have Christ living in us, there are still times in our life when we put the focus on me instead of the we. We put the focus on my wants and my desires. Because of, of the fallenness of our humanity, every one of our relationships will at some point face difficulty. We'll face trials, we'll face struggles. The closer and more involved you get with someone, the more stuff you get to see. The closer you walk with someone, the more aware of certain things that you may see in their life. Maybe some of them blind spots. Maybe some of them are little ticks. It's just not a big deal. Maybe some of them could be sinful behavior. I mean, there's a ton of things that happens. That's why I make the comment often here uh, is if, you, um, if you're new to new life, just stick around long enough and we'll hurt you just like everybody else has. What I mean by that is simply this. As we do life together, as we travel in this together, uh, as we walk out the, ga the gospel together, uh, there's gonna be times when we're disappointed. There's gonna be times when we're hurt. Why? Because we're, we're still human. We're still fallen. Though redeemed, we still struggle with the flesh. So the more we travel together, the more we have opportunity to see our life, the more we have opportunity to really see struggles in people. Just to be upfront, there's gonna be times I disappoint you. This is just gonna happen. Why, because I know my heart, I know my tendencies. There's gonna be times that, that I struggle and that, that I mess up. There's gonna be times that you struggle and you mess up. There's, that those things are gonna happen as we journey relationally. It's gonna happen and that's what we see happening here in the scriptures. These two godly men I mean, when you think of like just a man after God with everything in him, we always go to the Apostle Paul, don't we? And so why in this, why, what, why in this moment? Why? And the scriptures are quiet. The scriptures are quiet. So what I've learned is there's gonna be feelings of disappointment. There's gonna be feelings of anger and frustration that are hard to manage. But hear me, as believers, we should desire to love well we should desire to love like Christ does. We should desire to press in and engage even when it's hard and when it's uncomfortable. And so what that means is that we need to go deeper with each other. Forget about, okay, it's tournament time and we're doing March Madness and how many brackets are busted and how's your team doing? Go Liberty. We won our first game in the tournament. Yeah, woo-woo. Alumni, yeah. Yeah, and I know, yeah, yeah, that's right. There's three of us in here, praise God. We got our first win. Clemson's not there. South Carolina's not there. It's the only time we can hold anything over to you, so don't worry. Our football team will never be there. This is the only time our basketball team has done this, so we're gonna ride that wave until 
we probably get beat tonight. But anyways, go Flames, right? But isn't that about where relationships end? Isn't, I mean, I mean, really? We, we just go surface level. We just kind of say, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. And we do the, the fine thing. And then we start, well, how, what about that weather? How's your grass doing, brother? How about the tires on your car? Like, we always just go like surface level. Or how's the kids? Don't really tell me how the kids are. Just like the good stuff, how the kids are. Uh, we really don't want to know all of that kind of stuff. We just, we go surface level, but church, hear me, we have got to go deeper than that. And hear me, when you go deeper with someone, yes, it's going to get uncomfortable. Yes, it's going to get messy. Yes, it's going to hurt. Why? Because we're broken and fallen and God's repairing and mending us. And the, the deep theological term for that is called sanctification, whereby we rub shoulders together. We grow together and God shapes us and molds us. And the way that he does that is through relationship relationship with each other, when, when somebody will love us enough to walk with us and call us out and encourage and do all of those things that relationship calls for. So we need to go deeper. We need to press in. We need to walk with each other and care for one another enough. So in this scripture, all we know is that something happens with Paul and Barnabas. And in that moment, there is violent emotions behind this disagreement as it pertains to what happens with John Mark. Something that takes place with John Mark was so bad that in that moment, Paul couldn't get over it. But in that moment, Barnabas wanted to show grace. And so who was right, who was wrong, we don't know. We don't have any more info in the story. We don't have any more uh, details. We can't bring him before the court. We don't have any of that stuff, anything recorded. All we know is that they part ways, they, they separate. And so what we're gonna talk about this morning in the scriptures is something that's very difficult for me. So I just want to share with you for a brief moment, just, just my struggle, just me. Uh, as, as we have about 250 people here, it's difficult to be able to, to journey with everyone. There's just no way that I can do this deep relationship, like I said, uh, what I was talking about with everybody in here. It's just impossible to do. And so for me, it's one of those things that I get to stand up here week in and week out and, uh, and talk about the gospel and share stories of my life where, where um, I struggle, where I'm victorious in certain things. And this is one of those areas that I just struggle with. I don't know why, I don't get it, I don't like it, but, but this is just an area uh, that's just difficult for me because for me, those of you that walk with me that know me a little, little better, you know this to be true, that I just I struggle with conflict and confrontation. I just, I just don't like that. I have no idea why. I, I, just, I just, for whatever reason, I'm just not geared that way, just wired that way, and so I've asked numerous times for God to just rewire me, to help me. Like, like I wanna be the guy that just walks into confrontation like a cool like cowboy, you know? I don't know why I'm walking like that, but I, I want to, I don't think you'd walk into confrontation that way and be like a cool cowboy, um, maybe more like this, but I, I, like, I want to walk into it, you know, and I just want to engage, I don't want the messiness get all over me, and I just want to look them in the eye, yeah, but, but you know what, like I want to, so bad I want that, and I have prayed, God help me, let me be like that, but for whatever reasons he has chosen not to, for whatever reason he hasn't given me that or wired me that way. So for me, when confrontation or conflict arises, unless I just have to absolutely have to dive in, it takes me a little longer to kind of, okay, let's, let's think about this, and I probably overthink and overanalyze, and I'm trying to take in, what do I do, how do I say this, and I run through the scenario thousands of times in my head, but what if I say this, and I can say this, and I've got to rehearse it, and I just, I work through it, and I try to figure out every little thing and every little detail, and, and, I, and, and the thing for me is like, I watch and I listen to and I read guys that are more confrontational, I'm like, give me that. For whatever reason, God just has not. For whatever reason, he hasn't wired me that way. I'm just not that guy. And so what I could do is I could default to my upbringing, right? That's what, what most of us do anyways when it comes to difficult times and difficult things. I could default to my upbringing. And so my upbringing was this, got great parents, a loving father, loving mother, 
but my dad was wired this way too. His philosophy was, let's just, can't we all just get along? Can, can there just be peace? Let's just hug and move on. And so what I've seen modeled in my life was some disengagement. What I've seen modeled in my life is just kind of just, uh, just step out a little bit. Not fight, not engage, avoid if at all possible. Let's give us some days and let's see what happens after that. And so that's what I've seen modeled. That's what I've seen around me. And, I don't, and so as I look at this and as I try to figure out and press into to my heart and my soul, God, why is this the case? Why do I struggle here? What, what's happening in me as I press in? I mean, I, I don't believe that just because I've seen this modeled this way that, that it's, it's okay for me to disengage or just take that philosophy, though that's what's been modeled. And that's usually our default. Well, I've never seen or I don't know or it's not, it's not easy or it's not comfortable. And so what we do is we just check out, which again, isn't right. Like I can remember talking about liberty. I can remember being back at school and one of our classes, we had to take a spiritual gifts test. And you know what my gift was? Mercy. I mean, that's a great quality for God, you know? And that's a good one. And I just remember taking mercy and I'm and taking it and I get mercy and I'm like, honestly? Like out of all the cool like spiritual gifts out there, I get mercy? And so, and so we, I talked to him about it a little bit. And you know what he settled with after me and him talked? Scott, you get mercy. I don't want mercy. Like I want, like, I want something cool. Like, I want hardcore something cooler than that. That's what I want. But you know what he said? He says, no, my grace is sufficient. My gifting is good. This is what you need in your environment, in your situation, in your circumstance. I need a guy with mercy to be here. And so do you know what I've learned about mercy? What I've learned about this is, is I'm like the golden retriever that you just kick and abuse, and I, just, I come back to the door with my tail wagging, ready to go. I don't, I don't know why, but I mean, you can run me through the mill, you can abuse me and use me, and I'm gonna be as loyal to, as the day is long, man. You, you just can't shake me. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, that's just how I'm wired. And so what that means is this, is if you're hurting, man, I'm gonna be right there with you hurting. If you're cry, anybody need to cry this morning, come see me after. I've got mercy and it just oozes all the time, you know? Like, I just can't quit, I can't shut it off. I don't know why. I hate it, but God give it to me for whatever reason because he needed somebody with mercy where he was gonna put me. And so that's what he did, he gave me mercy. And so I believe that God wired me a certain way, just like he's wired other people in this room with different spiritual gifts to help us be complete and unified. And I don't just get to, uh, I don't just get to check out and not enter into conflict and confrontation. Though I think I've got an excuse, what God reminds me often is, no, Scott, you have no excuse. That's, that's not how, even though it was modeled for you that way, that's not a good excuse. Not to engage, not to step in. No, 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 son, that's sin is what he tells me. That's dodging and doing the difficult part of relationship. That's not loving like Christ would love, though you may not be good at it. And what I've learned is this, is that whenever uh, uh, God shows you by his grace that you're not good at something, what he likes to do is this, just kind of like help you right on into it, you know? It's kind of like that um, patience thing that you pray for. All right, boy, you, you want to learn how to work through conflict and confrontation and all that stuff? Let me stir up something over here for you for a second. Like, he never just gives you patience, and then all of a sudden you're sitting in traffic, ah, oh, patience, this is so relaxing. It never works that way. Same thing, same thing whenever you struggle with conflict and confrontation. If you're really pressing into God and you want to grow and mature in your walk, whenever there's, whenever there's an area that you're weak in your life, what does he do? He likes to st uh, stir up some stuff, help you out a little bit. Here, jump into that for a moment, boy. See how that ends. See how that works out. And then what happens is you, I, for me, I usually come back wicking my, uh, licking my wounds. Wicking my wounds. Licking my wounds. Like, dang. But what I've learned is I've gotten better at it over the years. 
Why? Because it's like anything else. When you go to the gym and your legs are like puny, like you may be like built up here and like can bench press like 500, but you've never squatted a day in your life. What do you got to do? You got to start working on the legs, man. Like no chicken legs. We want this thing to be evened out, right? And so what you do is you, you put attention and effort where there's weakness. Same thing goes here. And God is gracious and loving enough to do that, to do that for us, to do that for me. And so what I've learned is to press into Christ and respond like he would. What I do is I press into him and ask him to give me the grace, give me the words. God, fill me with your spirit. Lord, you know I need your spirit right now. God, give me wisdom, how to handle this, how to engage this, how to act in this, how to live this out. So my question is, how do we respond to conflict? Because there's probably people in this room that's really, really good at responding to conflict, and there's probably people in this room that's really, really bad at responding to conflict. Any of my brothers out there? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Yep, good. And so what I've learned is, is us as sinful human beings that most of us tend to respond with conflict with either the, the fight or the flight response. And we usually will engage and it's usually poor or we just run. And I just believe that both can be sinful and both can feed our belief that conflict is entirely negative. But what I've learned is through the years of avoiding conflict, what I've learned in those years of, of dodging it and trying to stay away from it and trying to, trying to en- not engage that well, what I've finally learned is this, is that conflict is inevitable. And not all conflict is bad. Not all conflict is bad. See, as Christians, we have an opportunity to choose something that other than just fight or flight response. We can choose grace. We can choose love. We can choose mercy. We can, we can choose all of those things in the moment of that confrontation, that conflict, whatever it is. I mean, it's been some of the, the best advice that I'd ever heard is this, is that in arguments and, and fights, for us as a believer, it's not about being right. I believe the Bible says something about how love keeps no record of wrong. We like to use that at like weddings and stuff. So that what that means is that your wife can't like keep a running tally of how bad you are as a husband. But neither, you're welcome guys, but neither can, can you men either, right? Like, like, like we love to quote little verses like that, but, but what I've learned is in arguments and fights, they can be healthy, they can be good because it's not about being right, but it's about being unified. So when Meredith and I have an argument and a fight, do you guys argue and fight? Yes, we argue and fight. Why? Because we're human and like everybody else and because I'm sinful and selfish. So we do, but what I've learned in those moments is that it's not about me being right and being able to hold that over her head or her being right and being able to hold that over my head. What I do is I engage and I press in and I try to find out the heart behind what's happening, what's going on, what's really taking place, what's God trying to teach us, what's God trying to do in this moment. And what I've learned is this, is that he uses it to unify us and bring us together, not further apart, and it's all depending upon how we're gonna press into Christ in those moments, whether or not it's for separation or it's for unity. But in confrontation, in arguments, in conflict, it can be used for unity if it's handled biblically, if it's handled like God would want it to be handled and bringing him glory and honor. See, conflict presents an opportunity for confession, for repentance, for peace, for unity, for love, for grace to be displayed. And as I said earlier, God will use it for our sanctification, for growing us up and maturing us and and rounding off those rough edges in us. And so I believe that conflict can just reveal a ton in a heart. It can expose a ton in our heart. And so if you've got your Bible, James chapter four toward uh, the end of the, the New Testament, James chapter four. And so we have James that writes, and this is what he says in James chapter four, verse one. We'll start at verse one and work down through. He says, what causes quarrels? And so the thought behind this word here is a serious dispute or maybe even combat often rendered at war. So there's, there's something big going on. What, what causes these big blow-ups? What causes fights, he says? It's, it's just a more homing in of a specific battle. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? 
And so what this does is this, these verses indicate that these relationships here in the church, they were, they were between members and, um, and there's something going on. So what does James do? He, he, what does James do? What does James do, does? He writes this letter. So we have something going on that needs to be handled and James does that. He steps up. He says this, is it not this that your passions are at war within you? He lets us know what's going on. See, we think it's just external stuff, but there's something greater in the heart that's taking place. What he's saying is that our our natural fleshly desires are warring within us. That though we're saved, we've still got some flesh that we need to work out. We got some flesh that we need to do something with. And so that's warring within us within us. And so what James tells us is that is that we're wanters and that we're driven by desires and passions, that we have wants and desires, and we're driven by those passions and desires, and, and wanters driven by unchecked desires find themselves in a lot of fights, a lot of conflict, a lot of struggle. Some can be outward and unseen, but there's some that's internal, that's deep within us, deep within our heart that just sometimes comes out toward others. And so we lust and we covet, and that makes us fighters. As we lust and covet for selfish desires and passions, we become fighters, and we fight because we are wanters and we want the wrong things. That's the issue. Our desires and passion cause us to go after things that are contrary to the gospel, it causes us to go after things that, that, that we want. It's the me mentality, all about me, 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 my, 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 my. That's what's happening here. And so we see this happen all the time, don't we? We, can say, we see this happen outside the church in the lost world, but we also see this happen inside the church in the saved world. Is that we've got too much me in us and not Jesus. And what does the scripture say? I must decrease. Why? So he can increase all the more. And so that's where the problem lies. And so we are wonders. We've got passions and desires that we long for. So I just want to address some of the goofy, ridiculous things that we go after as the body of Christ inside the church. When this happens in the church, it looks like ridiculous stuff like this. Like we will argue over the color of the carpet. And we will fight about ridiculous stuff like that that's contrary to the gospel. Well, the carpet's got to be red, brother. Why? Because Jesus' blood is red and he died for us and he loved us. But it's going to clash with everything. Are you even saved now? Can't be, or you'd want red carpet like the blood. Ooh, or purple, that's royalty. Jesus was royalty. Hallelujah. And so we'll argue and fight over, what the heck does the color of our carpet have to do with the gospel that we proclaim? And we're gonna let that divide us? We're gonna let that cause dissension? That's just the meme. Who gives a rip if we even have carpet or not? If that's a big deal, let's just pull it up and stain it all. Who cares? I mean, stupid stuff like that that we just argue and fight over. That will just separate us. That's the, that's the selfish desires and passions that James is talking about. What about this, musical preference? Hit a nerve now, didn't we? Yeah. Well, is it Southern gospel? Is it contemporary? Is it a Southern contemporary? Now, I'm gonna tell you this right now. You just sing stuff that brings glory and honor to Jesus. I don't give a rip what it, what genre it comes from yeah that either we go get in or we go get out come on church you know what i'm saying we, we can do this if, if if you feel like God, you clap if you want to clap let's, let's do it if we're gonna do it but who gives a rip what style who is it gonna bring honor and glory to god that's that's the did you not see the lyrics we just sung and guess what he threw kind of like a, a an amped up hymn in there too Way to go, man. you know what i'm saying like, 
Who cares? It was about Jesus. If you're coming and you're worried about the preference of the song or the, 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 the key it's sung in or the, the meter or the, the beat of it, then, then you're, you're at the wrong place. You're at the wrong place. That's not why we get, who gives a rip? It's about Jesus. That's what it's about. Yes, we're going to do everything we can to try to be all things to all people who gather here as the body of Christ. So we're going to do all kinds of genres and all kinds of stuff, but we're going to do stuff that Jesus is pleased with. Not a single person in here, we don't care about your opinion in regards to that. Why? Because you're not God and we're not singing to you. It's all about him. And that's who we're going to sing to. And that's who we're going to make much of. That's the genre we're singing. And so if it's a little twangy or if it's a little uh, whatever else it can be, then glory be to God. Because it's going to be all about him. That's what it's going to be about. Some other things that can cause dissensions. Do we need to keep going? I think we do. Translations, that can cause dissensions and struggles. Yes, I believe there's some better translations and there's some weaker translations. And so we're going to do everything we can to be as true to the scriptures as we possibly can. And this is what I learned a long time ago in school. And I, I know, just hear me, I know just enough Greek to be dangerous. So really what that means is I don't know a whole lot. But what I do know is this, is how the scriptures were translated. And the King James Version was translated just the same way that the ESV was translated, that the New King James was translated. That's what I do know, is they didn't just pull out the King James, like, okay, well, let's see, how can we make this better? No, 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 they, they go back to the original as best that they can. And they look at it and they translate it and they walk through it. And the thing about the Greek language is that it's so complex, it's so laid out and difficult, that there is a lot of, of, of rendering of what words mean. So there's English words that it takes us two to three words to get what the one Greek word means. Like there can be like, um, like 20 versions of the word he that, that points back and connects to something. So I mean, it's very complex and difficult to translate, but we can let stuff like that just, just rock our world and ruin us to the point of where we're so divided and there's dissension in the body over that. I mean, come on, man, it's the word of God. We're gonna do everything we can. And again, I believe that there's some translations that's not near as good as other translations, but we're gonna do everything we can to be on point with what God's word says. Something else that can divide us really is these politics. I mean, that can just drive a wedge right between us. Something else is lack of involvement or, or over-involvement in ministries. All of those things can, can, can cause dissension and separation and can cause, cause, cause those kinds of things to happen in the body. And so what I would like to say about all of those things, I know that's just a short list. There could be tons of more stuff that we could talk about. But the problem with that list is simply this, is what we do is we take it off of the we and we make it about the me. It's, it's all about the me. It's all about what I like and what I want and, what, and what's gonna make me most happy and what's gonna uh, 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 help me feel the most comfortable and help, all, it's all about me. And hear me, this morning, nothing is about anyone in this place other than Jesus Christ. That's who we're focused around. That's who we're seeking. That's who we're wanting to bring honor and glory to. Not a single person in this place. At the end of it, when we pray and say amen, the, the opinion that I'm most concerned about is what God thought about it. Not a single, not even mine. My opinion don't even matter. It doesn't even matter what I thought about it. God, was you honored? Did you, did you like, was it a, a sweet aroma raised up to you? And so James goes on in verse two and he says this. He says, you desire and you do not have, so what do you do? You murder. He says, it can get so bad in you, these, these, these desires and passions that it can bring you to physical murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. So you have marital conflicts, family conflicts, job conflicts, relational conflicts, and they're all a result, a result of unsatisfied passional lust and envying. That's what it is. See, what James is referring to here reflects the boastful pride of life 
All about me, all about me, all about me. And what it does is it points to the worldly passions and personal satisfaction. And so what I've learned in scripture is this, is that we're called to die. We're called to die to self. We're called to die to our desires and our passions. Paul even says it in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. What's that mean? He's dead. I'm dead in Christ. I am dead in Christ. It's no longer I who lives. He's like, I'm not alive, but, but it's Christ who lives where? In me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what it's saying is that we're dead. We're dead to self. We're made alive in Christ. That, that all this ridiculous stuff that can cause dissension and separation and, and can cause uh, to drive a wedge in the body. He's like, that needs to be done away with. Why? Because we're dead men and women walking in Christ. It's not our heart that beats, but it's Christ's heart that beats within us. So the question should be, what color of the carpet or what songs or what translation? What brings the most glory and honor to God? And when we get to that place, it doesn't matter what color the carpet is. It doesn't matter what color the crazy stuff like that that causes dissensions. None of that stuff matters. But I just want to say this, man, because I'm a mercy guy. The struggle is real, is it not? I mean, the struggle is real. There's no off switch to our cravings. We cannot power down our desires. They are there and they are alive in, the, in us raging. They're fundamental. They're against our, to our nature. Why? Because we're wonders. We want. See, even the most peaceful soul and the most belligerent soul on the planet are both driven by desire. Driven by desire, whether for peace or controversy, whatever it may be. And so James goes on, he says this, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. And the, the focus here is, is set on self and doing it by self and the thought never crosses their mind to press into God. It's all about me and my wants and what I, it's all about my desires and they live that out. And so he says in verse three, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so motive is revealed. Motive and heart is revealed here. They don't ask for things in, in honor of, uh, of God or for God's goodness and grace to be magnified for the sake of his name. No, they do it for selfish purposes, their own sinful desires. And then jump down to James 4, 6. He says this, he says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will, excuse me, draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be, uh, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He says this in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll exalt you. See, our fights are spurned on by our desires, our coveting desires to be satisfied in this world. Those kinds of things is, is what, what spurns us and what drives us. It's the me mentality and so what stops our fighting? What stops our quarreling? What stops and derails those desires and those passions? I believe it's our proximity to God. How, how close are you to God? What does your walk with him look like? What, what, what does that look like? Because I believe in the body, should, if that's the case and we're walking as close as we possibly can with Jesus, whenever those things arise, then it's not a big blow up. It's not a big, uh, let's take time off and never, never get back together. It's none of that kind of stuff. It's let's, let's get unified. Let's bring this into the light and figure out who's, who's selfish in sinfulness. Who's not walking in proximity with God. Another way we stop our fights is by wanting who he is, wanting who Jesus is, dying to self, dying to self. Another way we stop our fights is finding our souls satisfied by what we believe is our ultimate good. Loving God and loving others. Being on mission with Christ. I mean, how can we other than, and I know that there'll be times we hold each other accountable when we walk on that, but even in those moments, whenever somebody asks me a question that penetrates the soul, 
Though the response may be, ah, you need to back yourself up and check yourself. Or that fight for freedom in me. Though that may be the initial response, what happens is the Holy Spirit starts to, uh, starts to massage and starts to move in and starts to break down that self-defense wall. Okay, we ask the question for a reason. Is there something in that? And so I press in. Okay, am I being selfish? Is it all about me? Am I trying to be me, me, me driven or others driven? So even in those moments, we look inwardly and we ask God to reveal. See, pride, pride is an enemy inside of us that speaks to us like a good friend, like a dear friend. It counsels a sound so much uh, like self-protection, self-preservation, and promotion that we're often blinded to the fact that it's destroying us and others. That's what pride will do. And so we can easily be deceived into believing that our pride wants to save us when, when in all reality it's our internal Judas betraying us with a kiss. That's what it comes down to. And so we must fight with everything in us to put pride to death. We must do this, church, take the focus off of the me. That's how we be unified. That's how we work through. Because see, the me says don't, you don't have to do that. Just avoid, disengage, overlook, get over it. It's their fault. You're right, they're wrong. They just wouldn't understand. That's what me says. But what Jesus says is this, is that you engage, that you do relationship right, that you ask, that you work for, that you fight for unity, that you serve. That's what he would say. That's what we do every time. Every time, and even in moments makes us, that maybe makes us look goofy. Like I can just think of just within the last two months, I've, I've had to pick up the phone and I've had to make a phone call. And I said, hey, uh, hey, how are you doing? Good, good, what's up? I said, I just need to apologize to you. And the person on the other end is like, what are you talking about? I said, well, this happened, or I said this, or I did this, or I overlooked this, and I just wanna, and they're like, are you serious? Really, like that, that, but see, the me says, uh, you don't need to pick up the phone. It's probably their fault. Well, they should have been paying better attention. Or them, or them, or them. It takes the focus off of maybe me that could be the problem and puts it on someone else. And so in that moment, I had a hard decision to make. Do I pick up the phone and call even at the expense of maybe looking goofy and ridiculous? Do I be obedient to God or do I just try to justify it and overlook it? And in this particular situation, there wasn't an issue. In this particular situation, it was just something that I believe God was just testing me to see if I'd be obedient to what I felt like the Holy Spirit was pressing me on in. And so I did that, I listened and I obeyed because I always wanna land at the place where it's not about me. It's not about my wants, it's not about my desires, man, how we do church here, it's not about what Scott wants, it's about what's gonna be most effective to reaching the most people. The kind of music we listen to, the color of the carpet, when that day comes, God help us, we don't give a rip about the carpet. The color of the paint on the wall, that kind of, if that's our focus and our desire, then hear me, we are saying to hell with the world is what we're saying because we are much more worried about the stuff in here. And we are, church, we are not gonna be that church. We are not gonna be that place that's much more worried about the stuff and the comfort of in here than, than the lost reality of the world out there. We're just not gonna do it. We are not gonna be those people. So when God presses upon our heart to go and be and to do, we're gonna do everything we can to walk out in glad obedience. Even though it may be difficult, even though it may be messy, even though it may be stuff that we don't like. So we're gonna do it with everything in us. And so we like to talk about spiritual maturity and what we do is when we talk about that, we talk about Bible studies or knowledge and the list can go on and on and on. And I believe that those things are good and that helps give somewhat evidence. But I want to press you this morning. If you really want to gauge and determine how spiritual mature you are, how, how other focused are you? How others focused are you regardless of what you get in return? How not self-focused but others focused are you? How are you going to serve 
and be concerned about this lost world when you're so focused on you, and we've got to get over us so we can get to them. We've got to get over us so we can get to the lost world. We've got to get over us so we can get to those that are hurting, that are dying day in and day out without Jesus. That's what we've got to get to, get over the me so we can get focused on the we. So as Eric and the band comes back up to lead us this morning in a time of response, it may be a little bit different for us. The response, and this is what I've been praying about all week, is that, God, that you would just wreck us, that you would rock us in this moment, that your word and that your truth and that your Holy Spirit would do such a great work in us this morning as to bring us to a place where we can be obedient and act upon whatever, God, you call us to. And so for me, I never want us to be a, a body of people or a group of people, the church that hears what God's word says but never do anything with it. That we hear God's words proclaimed and hear God's words preached, and we're like, okay, that was a good one. Let's just go home, and when can we get to lunch? And we're so quick to forget about what God started to stir in us. So I want us to take a moment in this moment as we've heard God's word proclaimed, and I want us to search our heart. I want us to ask God that scary question, God, what do you want to do in this moment? Open-handed. God, whatever you ask, whatever you call, whatever you seek, God, whatever you want to do in this moment, it's not about me and my comfort. It's not about me and my satisfaction, God, but it's about you and whatever you would want to do. And so this morning, altar call may be a little different. It may not be all about coming to an altar, but rather going to a brother and sister and saying, hey, I just, I just need to tell you I'm sorry. Or I just want to check with you. Are you okay? That, that's what altar call may look like. Like you, you, like you know at this time when we say, hey, it's a response. Like you don't have to come down. We want the, the body to be the body and to do what God calls us to do. And so for you, altar call may be slipping out and making a phone call. I just need to tell you something. I've had this on my heart and I just want to share it. And you need to call somebody. Maybe you need to make something right. Maybe you've kept that list. And so maybe it's husband and wife at the altar praying saying, forgive me how I've treated you or how I've acted toward you. Maybe it's a wife that's just nagged. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know what, the, what may be happening in the lives of the people in this room this morning. Maybe it's a severed relationship. They sit on this side and you sit on this side and maybe that you need to sit right here this morning. I don't know what God would call and ask of you to do in this moment. But I wanna press you, don't wait to make it right. Don't wait because what I've learned is when the Holy Spirit starts to speak and he starts to press, the longer we wait, the quieter it gets. The longer we wait to being obedient to what God's called us to do in that moment, the more difficult it is later. But Scott, what if I look like a fool? I mean, you look like a fool for Jesus and that is quite all right. He will bless that and use that. Because maybe it's not so much about the other person as it is the one sitting in this place this morning. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe it's not so much about that person over there that you need to go to, but about you being brave enough and stepping up enough and having courage enough in God to do whatever you feel like he's calling you to do. Don't wait. Because see, the me says, just do it later. Just do it later. You can get to it. Hey, you've got lunch. And then after lunch, you've got this free. Oh, wait, you've got a nap. And then after nap, then you've got some free. No, you've got a small group or you've got this meeting to get to or you need to get groceries for Monday. So just wait till after you get back. Oh, but then it's going to be about nine to 10. You can't call somebody at nine or 10 o'clock. That's just rude. Okay, so, so let's do it tomorrow morning. Oh, but wait, then you've got kids. You gotta get them ready for school. You gotta get ready for work. You got all this stuff going on. You need to send some emails when you get to work so you can't call then. Oh, and then you got staff meeting or a meeting, this thing you gotta get. And see, the, it just keeps getting further and further out whenever God says, man, obedience is immediate. So if God is stirred in your heart, don't wait to make it right. Don't wait to make it right. So we don't have a lot of detail about how this, how this thing gets uh, settled or how this thing gets fixed when it comes to Paul and Barnabas but what we do know is that, is that they, they never ministered together again this is the last mention of our good friend Barnabas the encourager here in the book of Acts 
But what we do know is that Paul and Barnabas eventually reconciled their differences because Paul wrote approving of Barnabas's ministry in 1 Corinthians 9, 6 to encourage and to lift up. John Mark even becomes one of Paul's valued co-laborers. That's what we read over in Colossians 4.10. So hear me, church, this should be something that, 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 that we're known for. The way we handle conflict and confrontation. If you're like me and you're not the best at it, that's all right because God can use that in your life to shape you and mold you into the image of his son and that's what I'm learning. We're all called to be peacemakers. And we don't sacrifice things for the, the, the sake of peace, but we engage things for the sake of peace. And even if that's difficult conversation and hardship, we walk into that gladly obedient to Christ for the sole purpose of being reconciled and, and made one again. So I don't know what God's calling you to do this morning in this place, but he desires for his body to be unified and together. And so we need to love one another enough to work through issues. We need to care for one another enough like Christ has cared for us to work through issues and walk through the difficulties of doing life together. But for us to be the church that God wants us to be, that's what we've got to do. So when somebody takes you off, you let them know. And no, it's not three o'clock in the morning throwing rocks at their car, spray painting a little thing on the side of their house. That, that's not how we do it. No, it's picking up and saying, can we get coffee and talk? I was picking up, like, can I come over for just a second? Something just pressed me in my heart, and I just, I just, I, I want to share with you. It's as simple as engaging in a conversation, whatever God presses upon your heart. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if there is conflict, if there's issues, if there's uh, disunity in your life, but I believe this, that God wants to reconcile and wants to bring back what's been severed. He's good and gracious that way. So God, help us this morning in this place to hear your voice. God, if conversations need, I hope, God, my prayer is that this is the most disruptive crazy looking altar call that we've ever had in this place. God, that, that we could get over ourselves for the sake of others, for the sake of you. And so God, whatever you see fit to do in this place, God, help us be obedient to your calling. Maybe we need to step out and make a call. Maybe we need to go to a brother here. Maybe we just need to encourage and put our arm around and love on. Apologize, whatever the case is. God, help us be obedient to what you call us to do. So name we pray, amen. They're gonna lead us this morning in this song. You be obedient to Christ. I'm gonna ask you that you stand up and live him out in this moment.